What's up, folks? Thank you for tuning in to the Paddle Woo Podcast. I am normally your host, Eric Antonson, but it is with great pleasure and excitement that today I turn the mic over to Chase Kosterlitz. Uh, you have heard Chase on the podcast now a few times. If you don't know who he is, Google him. Uh, K-O-S-T-E-R-L-I-T-Z is his last name. Uh, I just wanted to say that I am stoked to have Chase on board helping out with the podcast. He's going to be covering lifestyle racing recreation side of paddling along with a little bit of surfing in there because there is some overlap Uh, and before we jump into the show if you would like to book a trip down to costa rica to hang out at the blue zone with head coach chase kosterlitz check out bluezonesup.com and if you haven't seen the new project that i'm working on portal surf designs uh, give it a look. Feedback has been incredible. Uh, orders are coming in, and we are uh, it's just fired up. Everybody seems to be really psyched on the board. So check out portalsurfdesigns.com. All right, without further ado, uh, I turn you over to Chase Kosterlitz. It's the Paddleboo Podcast. What's up, guys? Welcome to my first solo Paddlewoo podcast here, coming to you from lovely Costa Rica. I am still actually recovering a bit. Eric was just down here for three-day test session with um, his son, Damo, and I think he calculated they surfed 24 hours within, like 24 hours of surf time within five days and I joined them for all but one of those sessions so I'm definitely recovering the waves were good it was super fun it was great to get out there and test some more of the uh, Barra portal surf model with Eric and uh, yeah definitely appreciating actually took a day off yesterday which was uh, Super Bowl Sunday so it was nice to rest the body and get ready for the next round of swell which, I mean, today it's like waste to chess, but then it's going to be about that for the next week, and then we got some overhead stuff. So it never ends here in Nosara in a good way. So I'm enjoying that and happy to be here with you guys, bringing you my first solo podcast where I'll be talking about subsurfing, but also expanding it and talking a little bit more about racing, adventure, just the wider paddle community. We'll have a lot of really interesting discussions. Eric will join me on some of the shows. Uh, but today I interviewed a, an old friend and a, a accomplished athlete and shop owner in the stand-up paddle industry, and that is Bart Deswart. And Bart is known for a lot of things, but most particularly his endurance paddling. So just to give you a quick rundown, this year will be his his 10th straight year of competing in the 11 City Tour, where he's won it four times. The 11 City Tour is a multi-day event where I believe it's five days, they paddle 220 kilometers. So you do the math, it's about over 30 kilometers a day. Some days are shorter, some days are longer, um, but it is pretty much one of the most grueling uh, races, multi-day stand-up races in the world. He's won that four times. He's won the Muskoka River X race three times. That's 220 kilometers straight through that he's won that three times. The 2016 Yukon River Quest, he won that. Get this, that is 715 kilometer long race. And then also 2016 MR340 champion, 547 kilometer race. In addition to that, he's paddled the Hawaiian Islands straight through nonstop, completely self-supported. That took him five days. We talk about that on the show. Also paddled from Tahiti to Bora Bora. That took him three days nonstop through the night sleeping a little bit, paddling, self-supported, and has also paddled the coast of Greenland after he was forced to abandon. He wanted to do a crossing from Canada to Greenland, but there was uh, dangerous conditions. And then we also talk about a crossing from the UK to uh, Holland uh, on the North Sea and how he got lost in the fog and uh, 
quite a scary moment for him. I know just him talking about it made me want to have nothing to do with any of these crossings that Bart gets into. So it's really fascinating. You know, like I said, I've known Bart for nearly a decade now, but we don't really dig into the details of the psychology, his mindset during these paddles, how he prepares, his training. Uh, We even talk a little bit about his surfing, how Bart is definitely, he'll undersell himself, but he is a charger. He, He surfs jaws, surfs outer reef breaks. We talk a little bit about that and his experiences out there and also get into his training with Connor Baxter. And Connor is, I I say, not even arguably, he is the fastest, most accomplished paddler in Santa Paddle Racing. And Bart and Connor were training together since day one. When, When Connor got into the sport, Bart had already been paddling a little bit. And if any of you follow racing, You've probably heard of the Connor Baxter stroke, which is a choke down technique. It's actually can be valuable when you're surfing too in in some instances, but uh, there's some interesting history there that Bart has a thing or two to say about that uh, that well-known, almost uh, iconic stroke uh, in the sport of stand-up paddling. So we, we get into all these things and and a lot more. And it was really it was really gratifying having this conversation with Bart. And like I said, a lot of the people we have on are going to be people that that I know because having spent nearly 10 years in the sport racing, you know, all over the world, I, one of the best parts of that was meeting a lot of amazing people. And I was fortunate enough to do that. So all the names that, that you've probably heard of, um, and some you may not have, um, that will be bringing you a lot of knowledge and definitely some great stories. So enjoy this episode. Would love to have your feedback. Let me know, uh, what you guys out there, you sub surfers that are longtime paddle wheel listeners, um, what you think of this? Because I think there's definitely, we all love being on the water and, and there's a lot of crossover and a lot of the people that I have on are also surfers. So we'll, we'll get into surfing. We won't focus that focus on surfing as much as Eric will um, on his shows, but uh, there's definitely a lot of crossover. And like I said, we all, we all love being on the water. A lot of us, a lot of the people I interview are also surfers. So that will still be on the table. So thank you guys for listening and hope you enjoy the show. All right, Bart, thank you for joining me here on the Paddlewoo podcast. Yeah, great to be there, Chase. All right, so you mentioned when we first started chatting that you had a great surf this morning. So you're coming to us from Maui. Why don't you share uh, where were you surfing and, and what was it looking like out there? Yeah, this morning I um, first had a training session, then uh, went to work. But after work, um, even before work, the, the waves already lo- really looked good. So I was really kind of felt bad that uh, I didn't go surf. I went for, for a training session, but... On the way back, I saw the waves and I thought, hmm, better check it out. So I went to um, Kuau, uh, which is right next door to Hokipa, and it was pretty uh, good size and just a new swell coming in. And I had the whole thing for myself for an hour, and then last half an hour, somebody joined me. So, yeah, cannot wish for anything better. That sounds beautiful. So, what is good size in uh, Maui terms? Yeah, it's it's different for everybody, I guess. Um, I, I'm I'm technically I'm not a super good surfer, but I like big waves. So for me, the the bigger the better. Um, uh, yeah, it sounds kind of weird, but <laughs> it's just, just the way it is. And this uh, was um, yeah, the, you know the Hawaiians they call uh, even a, a three foot or five foot that that's a pretty already pretty big. But this was um, they call it um, probably. Uh, um, six to seven foot Hawaiian, which means it's uh, up to face is up to like uh, fifteen, I think. Jeez, I was actually joking with Eric today, uh, the the main host and Blue Zone extraordinaire of the uh, Paddlewoo podcast, and we were joking how Hawaiians undersell it, and then here you are, like 
six to seven foot Hawaiian. They measure Hawaiian from the back of the wave, but yeah, like 15 foot faces, that's like well over double overhead. So that's no, uh, that's some serious waves. <laughs> so you, you got your size then, huh? Yeah, I got my size. And it, the nice thing, this size still works pretty good. Um, it's still, uh, yeah, it's not, it's not too big that you have to watch out for everything you do. And so, yeah, it's just, yeah, somehow I, I, I like, like I said, I'm not technically, I'm not very good. So if it's smaller and you have to be like super quick and fast and, and do all kind of tricks, I, I'm, I'm not good at that, but I like it when it's slightly bigger. Yeah. Don't, don't undersell yourself, Bart. I think, I think you may be, uh, being a little humble. Yeah, certainly you're not, you're not throwing airs, but, but I've seen, uh, I've seen, you surf and and you can certainly hold your own on a surfboard and not to mention I wanted to ask you I saw like a picture of you windsurfing Jaws it must have been years ago because I look like an older picture but it, like you like to get out there too uh, back in the day this must have been on the face easily of a 40 foot wave if not bigger so Bart, you definitely, <laughs> you definitely, you might, you might not be the best small wave surfer, but but you you like to charge the big stuff. Yeah, yeah, I kind of like that. And with windsurfing, it's actually slightly easier because you have your your motor with you. Um, which I tried it twice with stand up, and the first try, I right away, broke my board. Oh, and that was in the days. That was probably like four or five years ago, and then Jaws was still pretty um mellow there were not too many surfers and it was pretty easy to go there but with 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 the stand-up you you wait for a wave and then you go in slightly you know you're, you're very careful not to do anything stupid so you go in more and more and then suddenly this big set shows up which breaks way out luckily uh but just washes you in and it broke my way my board and in in jaws it it's like if you get one wave you're you're stoked and you're happy, but nowadays I don't go there anymore. It's it's so busy and it's it's um yeah it's 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 pretty scary too. Eh? The big waves you you cannot make too many big mistakes. Um, so now we go to the outer Spartans, outer outer Sprex, where it's still quite big, but it, everything is more mellow. Um, no no uh, big rocks right away. So if if you fall and you just get washed out past the reef and you can pedal back again so it's all easier yeah easier compared to jaws but still <laughs> still gets your your blood pumping which is fun I, i'm by no means a big wave surfer but i can appreciate that the few times i've been in you know well over double overhead maybe 15 18 foot faces and uh it's like a whole other kind of surfing like you said like you you you're saying you're not technically sound but uh, you you definitely have to be technical but not in the sense of like tight quick turns but 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 uh just putting yourself in the right position and and making sure you have enough speed to to make it to the channel or make it make it to the shoulder but it, it just the adrenaline is uh is that what draws you to big wave surfing yeah i think so sometimes i even say to people like um, sometimes you know the waves turned out to be not too good, but you you make it out there, and even then I'm already happy, I'm satisfied just to get out and and be in between those big waves and just manage to uh, to somehow get through the channel. That's for me already the the yeah highlight. If you catch a few waves at the same time, it's it's even better. But it's like you said, it's timing and it's um, just making the drop and then try to make it to the you know get some speed and try to make it to the channel again and so it's it's very different um but that's what i like about it yeah 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 it's like that you you feel a sense of accomplishment for having survived <laughs> for for making right. it yeah out. yeah yes exactly <laughs> <laughs> well that's awesome well well we we started with surfing and and definitely want to highlight that because that's a that's a big part of of the time you spend in the water and obviously the core of this podcast, Eric was focusing a lot on surfing, which I certainly uh, will do uh, because a lot of the people I'm going to talk to um, also have a passion for surfing. But I want to focus 
on what you probably, or, or not probably, most definitely most well known for in the SUP industry, in the SUP world, and that is uh, your endurance paddling. And in the pre-show, I gave our listeners a full rundown of the incredible resume you have for for 24-hour record holder, uh, Hawaiian Island crossings, all these amazing feats of endurance and, and that you're still doing. So I really want to dig into this. And why don't we start with um, why you seem to be attracted to, to pushing yourself into in, going into these uh, endurance paddles? Um, it that probably started when I was a young kid. Um, I came from windsurfing, and I started when I was five years old, when windsurfing started in Holland. And back then, there was, um, maybe a couple of years later, but back then there was somebody, uh, his name was uh, Arnaud de Rosnay. Um, he was a baron, and he was a, a pioneer, adventurer, windsurfer, and he did all kind of crossings, and I always had a big admiration for him. And then um, I fantasized about like going to windsurf from uh, South and North America or crossing some channels. Somehow I never worked out, but it, it, that always stayed with me. And um, I always liked, uh, you know, walking in the mountains and, and spending a week just in the wilderness, climbing mountains, things like that. There was always some adventure in there. And with stand-up, when it when it just came out, there were so many. I saw so many options of doing that that um, I had to try some. And for, so at first, I pedaled around Maui just to see how that worked. And then I was on this trip with Connor to Africa, where um, while flying there, you have those magazines, and in the back of the page of the magazine is always a, a big map of the whole world. And I said, Oh, wouldn't it be cool to cross the Atlantic? And I said, well, if you think about crossing the Atlantic, first you have to do like a, a big, good trial run. So then I um, sort of doing the trip from Big Island to Kauai and spent five days on the board and tried that and, and found out that it's actually to be on a, a normal standard board, really out in the elements for five days is, is not easy on your body. And so that's, yeah, that's where it started. It, it's, it's somehow trying adventures which haven't been tried before um, a little bit like mountain climbers like to climb a mountain which had, hasn't been done before even when it has been done just experience the experience to, to do that um, yeah that's how it started basically that's cool and and that's uh, it's interesting for for me to hear and you and I uh, met we first met at Lost Mills, I believe, like 2011, or at least spent time together. Um, I think we, I think the first time we met was in uh, in France, in uh, Saint Maxime. Oh, but that was like the week before. That's right. Oh, yes. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and and yeah, and and I always admired your your tenacity and like your grit because even back then, like you were. I, I'm not calling you old here, Bart. Let's let's be clear. But you were you were like you were like competing against all these guys. Like I felt like an older guy and I was in my mid twenties, but all these kids really, like sixteen, seventeen, eighteen year olds, and then you were right there with them and, and certainly I always joke back then it was a lot a lot easier. It was still hard to, to be competitive, no doubt. And we put in the work, but like it was nowhere like it was today. But like you were charging, giving guys for a run for their money and still are even in in the shorter stuff. But then you really got into these endurance paddles and, and just now that seems to be where you're focusing a little bit more on. And and so I wonder, like when you're when you're doing these paddles, you said you like the adventure uh and you're just so much of this time, like you're just alone with your thoughts. I know when I go on an hour training run, I can get a little bit crazy in my own mind. So like walk us through what that's like, like Maui for five, like Hawaiian islands for five days. Uh, what, what's the thought process? Well, um, 
you're very much involved the whole time with the trip. So even the whole day, you think like, I oh, know, well, you know, how far, um, how much I'm drifting, how is the wind? You, you actually a lot thinking a lot about the trip itself. Um, of course, your your mind wanders off a lot of times too. And I think it's it's very healthy nowadays to have that. It's it you know some people meditate, which uh, is probably very good for a person too. Um, but if you do this, it's kind of a meditation because how many people nowadays spend some time just with themselves without any outside influences of television, people or anything else. I, I yeah it, it's 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 I think it's very healthy. Um, Time flies by too. The, the strange thing is, I tell people like um, I did the Yukon River Quest, and sometimes I have a race which is an hour long, and you think the last half hour like oh it's it's hard, and finally the finish in, in sight, and that half an hour could be the same as the last twelve hours of the Yukon River Quest, which is a like a fifty something hour race, and the the last the, because there's a little stop. Um, about 12 hours before the finish of three hours, a compulsory stop. And then as soon as you leave there on that place, you know it's like 12 hours. But for you, it's like a, that's your, your home run. You're, you're almost there. That's the way you think. And I, I see with myself that sometimes when I, um, when I race, those 12 hours are as hard or as easy as that last half an hour in a normal race. So it, it's all very relative. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's definitely, I can see it being meditative because when, when I'll go for, for a paddle and, and I'm just doing like an hour and I'm not doing intervals, I'm just kind of like going to do, and I, my goal is just a certain distance or an hour. And, and yeah, you can get into that rhythm. So I, I imagine that just gets magnified the longer you're out there. Um, you kind of get lost in your thoughts and, and, uh, and it can be a beautiful thing. And, and one that is more and more necessary with, with all the, the media and information that we can take in just to, to be able to disconnect like that. So, so that's one of the draws for you to this endurance stuff. What else, what, where's the motivation come to, to, I mean, let's be honest, like just, you're a, I don't want, I'm not saying this in a bad way, but like you're abusing your body, right? Like when, when we go out for an hour, we're, we're putting our body to the test, but the stuff you're doing is just incredible. And, and you've like, you're going for your 10th, 11th city tour this year and, and you've just been doing it, you know, for, for 10 years now. So what, what else is motivating you to, to be doing these kinds of paddles? Yeah, it's, it's, I think about it a lot. It, it's, um, of course, of course, you have to be competitive. Um, I, I just like to compete, like all all of us. I think it's the same for you. We like to measure ourselves with other people. Um, I realized, like you said, that I'm getting older and I'm getting a lot slower with the, the fast stuff, the the hour or or less races, um, especially the, the sprints of of like 15, uh, 30 minutes. Um, and I realized that. Um, I'm quite good at at um, putting the right energy for the right amount of time and um, doing those long distance races, which is like marathon runners. Uh, mostly, it's it's older guys or older women who somehow learn how their body works and how much they can, uh, you know, how much energy they they can give for a certain amount of time. So that that it is interesting to see how that works, and it's uh, the biggest draw for me because I admit I sometimes I don't like what I do. Sometimes you're in the, in your your 24th hour or some, of something, and you think like, why why am I doing this? <laughs> and yeah, it's 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 more often than you think. And yeah. it's, but I, um, you, you know, probably from long long races, like why did I sign up for this? But then as soon as you arrive. And you have this satisfaction of arriving and of accomplishment that you actually did it, then you feel really good. And then the next day, you already forget how hard it was. And the week later, you already sign up for next year. <laughs> and while you and while you think like just 
24 hours before, they're like, oh, I'll never do this again. I've said it to myself often, and Dagma often says to me, to my wife says often to me, for like, didn't you want to not do this anymore the next year? And, and you're signing up again. So it's weird how easy we forget the bad stuff or the hard stuff and uh, only remember the good stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's definitely a satisfaction. I've done nothing uh, close to the paddles you've done, but I actually did the NYC paddle uh, around Manhattan, which was, uh, I think, 28 miles. And we had very favorable conditions. But, but yeah, and, and but even like Carolina Cup is a grueling race, and that graveyard is, I, I think they always say it's 13, but it's more like 14 and a half. But, but anyways, like you get done, and there is that sense of accomplishment. And, and one of the things that I always liked, and, and you kind of touched on this, was – there's definitely the competition. You're competitive, and I feel that competition with measuring ourselves against others. But it's almost also measuring ourselves against ourselves, right? Like that yes. internal yeah. push. And I almost found as much satisfaction, if not more, from that. And it seems like that's a lot of, of what you're what you're getting. Yeah, especially endurance. It it, it is mostly fighting against yourself. Because, like I said, in the, the 12th or the 24 hour or however long it is, you you've, it's just, you know, you want to give up. You're like, oh, I'm tired. And my whole back is hurting. Every muscle is hurting. Um, but you you keep going and you you know how you're going to feel afterwards. And you know the, 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 the satisfaction you'll get from it. And there's one other thing I've always said I liked about doing um, anything which is harder. could be climbing a mountain or it could be uh, running for a longer bit or an adventure race or especially the, the, the pedaling is the everything tastes better afterwards when you arrive You're, you have a better understanding how important people certain people around you are just life is better afterwards and some people have this when they get sick um and they they realize you know how good life is afterwards. I know it's a little philosophical, but that's the way I feel. If I just realize how good things are after having uh, had something hard. Yeah, I mean you can't measure happiness without some sadness. You can't appreciate exactly. you know the yes. the cliche of you can't appreciate the sunshine sunshine without a little rain or you don't appreciate it as much. And, and, uh, yeah, I think that is, that is a beautiful thing. And, and to be able to, and just, you learn so much about yourself, like, uh, that internal dialogue and, and pushing through the pain. And, and like you, you said, like questioning yourself in the middle. I know I question myself in the middle of some races that are an hour long. And so I can imagine you have a lot more time when you're on these, these longer paddles to, to, you get lost in thought, I'm sure. But, but to be like, you know, what am I doing out here? Or man, I'm, I'm so tired. I'm so hungry. I'm, my leg hurts. Have there, has there ever been a moment that, that, uh, I don't know, like, like the most extreme moment or learning uh, that you had in a situation like that? Um, yeah, there were probably a couple. Um, one was during the crossing of the Big Island to Kauai. The first night, it was just super hard because the, there was more wind than I anticipated. I, I planned the whole thing to have the first day of the crossing no wind which was it's easy to plan i i saw it because it's the first day so you just go whenever you think okay there's now is one day of nothing and then the trades wind, winds will pick up and then i planned it and i flew over to big island and i already saw out oh, that the window went from two days to one day and then i got there and then it looked like i actually that it's already starting tomorrow morning the wind which uh, when i uh, planned to go and then I saw, okay, I have to go just right at, at sunset, go in the night. And so I went there, then and then I really realized there was actually wind. And in that channel, a little bit of wind is, is about double uh, in the channel. And in that channel is also a lot of current. And there's a lot of chop from all sides. And 
So it, it was that was very hard. Like the first, there was no moon in the first five or six hours of that night, and I, I couldn't even stand on the boards. So choppy and so um, yeah, so um, so little balance. So I um, I sat on my knees for the first five or six hours. I was seasick. I had to uh, puke. I uh, and I, I just kept pedaling for I don't know for twelve hours until I saw the north uh, north point of uh, of Maui, which with I had to get around. And as soon as I got around, at least the wind was slightly more from the back. But yeah, there was a you no know, somehow super hard. And normally you would turn around and just give up. But I I worked so much towards that um, crossing that there was no way I was not going to do that. And I, as long as I thought it was safe and, and, and very impossible to do it. So, so I know it, it's hard, but I can still do it. And yeah, the other thing I, I, I pedaled once from, from England to Holland, which I thought was a 24 hour crossing. And during that crossing, um, I told everybody, oh, it's going to take 24 hours and the, the, the conditions were calm, but the, the North Sea is very um, unpredictable. And so first I got um, fog after two hours and then I got side wind and then headwind. And in the end it was a, luckily a downwinder, but it took me 37 hours and uh, everybody started kind of to be worried and especially, you know, the, the North Sea is one of the most traffic intense um, with freighters and tankers and other boats. Yeah. And especially in the fog, it was uh, it was kind of scary sometimes. So, um, yeah, that was at some point that, uh, in time I thought like maybe there was not the most clever idea to do it. Luckily, I realized I could... Um, avoid the boats in the fog by just listening really well where they were coming from because the, the noise of the boats of the, the ships carry very well through the fog and you can actually hear where they're coming from and then as soon as I heard a boat coming from only one direction I pedaled 90 degrees uh, of that course and just to avoid them uh, which I had to do twice um, I never saw them but I, I could hear that they were passing me and so, yeah, things like that make you think. Um, and yeah, with all the other races, um, there's always a point, like you think, why am I doing this? But there's also highlights. Um, like, the, you know, the, it's mostly adventure races now, like um, Yukon or the, the other one in Canada. Or that There's many of those who, who uh, combine racing with um, nature. And that makes it also interesting. And it's not like you're just pedaling for 50 hours in a straight line. It's, it's actually you see uh, a lot of things around you too, which makes it very interesting. Yeah, I, I think I got goosebumps when you're talking about listening for the boats in the fog because these aren't like trawlers. These are like three football field long freighters that are you know you're like an ant to them so i can't imagine like your your senses had to be so hyper aware because in your mind you're like yeah this could be it if if one of these boats if i don't if i don't uh if i don't act wisely here yes yeah yes and the you know i've, I've sailed before that i've sailed for three years so for me it's not hard to um see how boats go and, and if they're going to pass in front of me or behind me and how I have to steer because I'm, the, the speed of a standard board is about the speed of a sailing boat, which I was used to. Um, so that was an easy part, but the, the fog made it a lot harder. And just like you said, I was you just super concentrated and you listen for everything. And at some point I saw after about three or four hours into it, it was just the beginning. I saw this, the, the, then the fog started to come up, and I saw this waves, and I thought, because I took a good look at, um, at the maps, and then I put, punched everything in the, in the GPS, and I didn't bring any, um, um, just an overview little map, but not, not you know, the big sea uh, uh, chart. And I took a good look at those sea charts to see if there was anything 
um, more shallow or any anything special. So I knew there was no no shallow spots, but I saw breaking waves and I was like, how is it possible? How could there be um, some kind of bank here where there's waves breaking? And only later I realized it was actually the bow of a boat wow. uh, and those were the breaking waves. So. <laughs> And then, yeah, so it, it, it is, um, yeah, super sensible for anything you hear and see. Yeah, no, that's incredible. And and I'm sure, yeah, you've just had so so many hours out there and, and doing these incredible paddles. And, and uh, I want to talk a little bit about your preparation for them. Uh, how, how are you training for... For let's say, um, let's start with the Eleven City Tour, which, like I mentioned, you'll be going for your tenth year in a row this year. What's your training looking like for something like that? Yeah, ideally, um, I take off in the winter for a couple months, just surf and, and because if you train all year round, you kind of lose your your focus and your interest, and and then training becomes a hassle. And so if you take off one or two months, then you're yeah, you got your focus back and you, you, you actually like to go training again. So then I build up just just paddling and mostly in the preseason I, I start training with uh, the people around me here on Maui, which um, in the past always has been Connor. And in the beginning we were pretty equal. Um, lately, or the last couple of years, he's a lot faster. <laughs> uh, but still, we <laughs> we still we, we train together, and um, yeah, you can you can find all kinds of ways to to adjust that. So it's still interesting for both parties to to train together. And um, which is mostly, let's say, between three and five times a week um, in the beginning, and then if we get closer to the season, it's. Uh, for sure five times and sometimes six times a week. And then if I get like two, let's say three months before the Eleven City, I start to do longer pedals, uh, one of two or three hours, and then one of um, ideally four or five hours a week. And this is the ideal plan. It, it doesn't always work out, I have to say. Sometimes right, I, right. I plan this in the beginning and then, you, you know, you have work and, uh, yeah, there's all kinds Life. of things happening. So sometimes <laughs> it doesn't happen. <laughs> you you probably know very well that, yeah, it's yep. not always as easy as you uh, as you plan, exactly. especially with your family. Yep. And then, um, so, yeah, that's that's you want to build in some longer distance uh, just so your body gets used to uh, longer pedals. And actually, I didn't change that for the, because the 11 city is only five hours, or yeah, I don't want to sound um, only five hours in it, one day. It's basically five days or five hours. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, but I also have to say it, it's a different intensity. For, for me, an, a one hour or one half hour race could be as intense as a five hour race because you don't race with the same. Uh, energy and you don't race at you know an hour race you can do it at 85 to 90 percent and uh, a, f a five hour race you, you probably pedal at, at 70 to 80 percent most of the time and then sometimes you go up to 90 right so it, it's a different um in different workout and it it is as hard and you probably use a little bit more calories so for a 24 hour i don't do a lot uh, longer pedals because i think if you pedal a lot longer than 12 or 6 hours you start to wear out your body and um in the end you want to build up your body and not wear it down so you can only do so many of those really long races in a year i'm glad you mentioned that and and that's interesting to hear your training because i found over the years you know talking to people coaching people seeing people before races it's a huge misconception that you need to do high volume especially for these endurance paddles because like you said like you're going to break down your body and and the biggest cause of injury is overtraining in endurance sports and you're you're we cannot paddle for and train four hours a day for you know a week and think that that's what's going to get you ready for the 11 city tour because 
that is the 11 city tour <laughs> and you're going to be yes. broken after if that's what your training looks like. Yeah. Yeah. So for, for 11 city, it's pretty easy to find comparable um, examples because uh, a marathon for most people is, is let's say three to six hours, which is about the same time. And so you can see how they train. Most people who train for a marathon don't train four hours a day because that's the, the amount of time they're going to spend on the marathon. They, they mostly train maximum the half of the time. And most of the time, it's, it's a lot less than that. So it's the same, same for us, I think. And yeah, with, with the really long distance races, I, I wasn't sure. And then, so I just kind of listened to my body and see how that works. And the good thing is if you train with somebody like Connor and some other people here on the island, and um, you um, you get used to uh, high intensity. So even if it's just a one-hour workout like I had this morning, it was really high intensity. So you get used to that speed and that high intensity. And then you, it, sometimes in a race, especially if you do longer races, it's actually easy to keep a, a pretty high pace um, without using too much energy because you're, you're kind of used to that. So even for like the Yukon, uh, you, you won't do particularly too much volume before the race because you want to feel fresh going in? Yes. I, I basically do the same as what I do for the 11 City. Yeah. And so it's, it's uh, some longer just to get used to the longer paddles, but, uh, and I keep going with the, the one hour or one half hour, uh, more intense, um, and more interval training. And yeah, I, I didn't change that ever. Even for the, the, the record I did, I, I kind of kept it the same. I tried to do two longer ones a week. Um, cause uh, I, I just wanted to somehow you, cause you learn also when you do longer ones, you learn a certain rhythm which you can do for a long time. I noticed when I pedal with uh, Connor and anybody else here, that if I pedal um, at 70%, I can do it for the longest time. If I pedal at 85, I wear out pretty quick, and which is probably also my age, but it's, uh, it, you get used to a certain rhythm, especially if you long do the long, long distant ones. And I've noticed that after doing... You know, in the beginning, I was just doing 11 City and a lot of other races. And now, and there was one year, I did only really long ones. I would call them ultra long distance races. And I noticed that I got a lot slower in the short stuff. So I, I in the normal races, I didn't have the speed anymore, especially in the 11 City. The start and the finish, which is basically both uh, a sprint to get away and, and to finish it. I wasn't as fast as I used to be. And... First of all, I was I thought it would be my training, or but it's it's your body. I think getting used to doing those long distance um, races and and you train your your you know your your fast muscle to uh, twitch a uh, tweak is it's called I think it's just changing. Yeah, and you're adapting to be successful in not those conditions and in, in longer. So your energy system, the way your body's metabolizing everything, like it's it's being optimized, not for sprints. It's like expecting uh, Usain Bolt, you know, to to be a marathon runner. It's like two different things, right? Yeah. So yes. uh, yeah, and it's, it's surprising how quick that went. How I thought it would, would take a couple of years to get used to it, but within one year, I I, I could see a huge difference. Yeah, and so you've mentioned a couple of times training with the guys on Maui, and and obviously one of those names sticks out. He's, I don't, I wouldn't even say arguably, he's the fastest paddler in the world, and and has been for for a long time now. I mean, there's definitely guys nipping at his heels, but he he continues to uh, to perform. And so, what's it like uh, training with with Connor? And you've trained with him for. Probably since since he started, yeah. Yeah, we, we yeah since the beginning, um, we kind of met just before the first eleven city, where he also was, 
And his mom introduced him to me, and he said, oh, that's the guy who just pedaled around Maui. He's going to do the 11 TD2. And he was like, mm, yeah, whatever. <laughs> he was, you know, a little, little, little boy who just won his first race, and um, he was already well-known for windsurfing. But then we did 11 City, and uh, I was a lot faster than him. He was, a, I think, a 13- or 14-year-old kid. And I did a lot better. And so he said, oh, maybe um, we should train together. And since then, we started training together. And we did our first, um, we had a trip in Africa together. Uh, so we started traveling together. And since then, we've, we've always um, yeah, stuck together. And especially the first years, we, were, we didn't know, um, we didn't know particularly what we were doing in, in training. But we, we started a system, you know, the harbor in, in uh, Kaului in, in Maui has five buoys and the buoys are um, nicely spread apart. And we started training that we uh, pedal the first half to the buoy kind of in a normal rhythm, uh, maybe 70%. And then at some point, one or the other started sprinting to the next buoy. And we did it. That was our training for the first couple of years. And uh, none of us two wanted to, um, you know, give the other one the, the the finish to the buoy first. So we, uh, yeah, we really pedaled hard to, to to get there first, and without knowing that that actually really worked for us because um, we both did did pretty well in in the in the races outside of Maui, and so yeah, we've always kept training together and we still speak often about the, those first couple of years, how we uh, did. And well, later we found out it's actually a, a training technique. It's called Farlek training. Yep. I was going to so mention you guys were doing that. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was fun. Yeah. It's funny how that afterwards, how that works. Yeah. And, and, and like so many of us that have been in the sport a while, it's funny to, to look back at those early days and, and what we were doing for training. And, and it turns out you guys were spot on and both of you have, have turned out uh, all right. So, so you did some things right. And, and uh, it's pretty funny, like uh, that you knew Connor back then, like you said, he was like 13 and I didn't know Connor then, but I, I've seen pictures and he was, I mean, he, look, he's still a skinny dude, but like, he was like a toothpick back then and uh it's pretty cool i'm sure you've enjoyed watching him develop into this uh incredible um athlete that's continuing to to uh dominate at the races yeah it is it, it has been and especially that part of just seeing how somebody from a little kid grows into a, a, a fast world-class paddler and and also seeing you know, in the beginning he was a kid, but now he's he's grown and he, he learned a lot and he, he makes very wise decisions and he he had phases where in the beginning it was he was just winning and it, it was easy. And then some people started to be a little bit better, so he, he he trained a little harder and then he realized that you know if he wanted to keep doing what he was doing, he he had to um, train really wisely and, 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 and make a plan and take it really serious like a like a, a pro athlete and that what it what is has been doing for the last probably um two or three years and he's still yeah like you said he for me is the he's the best peddler there is he, he doesn't always win but all round there there's nobody faster in in if you take combine all the conditions and all the different um disciplines we have all together he's uh he's a very fast peddler yeah Absolutely. And, and you were a part of that and continue to be. And, and last thing on Connor, I have to know, I, I think I heard this somewhere or read it. Did you actually invent the Connor Baxter choke down stroke? Yeah. <laughs> That's you, right? It, yes, it was. Yes. Um, it, that, cool. I always gave Connor a little bit um, shit about it because <laughs> he, uh, yeah, he, because it, it, became, it, it became famous because of him. So we agreed on it. Okay, I invented it, and uh, he made it famous. Let it be known and, on the Paddleboo podcast. So why don't yeah. you tell our listeners that aren't familiar, what is, I'm going to call it the Bart Deswart stroke. What, it, what is the stroke? Well, it, it's because we in the beginning we used very long paddles. And in the 11th City, uh, the first year we had a lot of wind. And 
I think even before that, because I, when I pedal around Maui, I had a lot of wind. I started choking the 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 pedal, so taking the pedal a little lower, so you can bend and go a little bit under the wind. And at the same time, you can do a faster stroke. So for sprinting or for starting and for headwinds, it's actually you have two pedals in one. You can use your shorter pedal and you can use your long pedal. And so, yeah, especially in that 11 CD, I used that a lot. And since then, uh, we both started using it. And since then, it it became famous that it was the the Conor Baxter Baxter choke stroke (laughs) (laughs) it is kind of funny and and, uh thank you for sharing that story so anyone that that hasn't heard that will be uh it's kind of a neat little piece of information and and maybe we'll have to revolutionize it and call it the bart desworth stroke but (laughs) but how how it's really unique in in the sport there's not really another term uh that is related to one person right like that like if you say the connor baxter stroke like anyone that's been to a race or been around will know yeah that's that's the choke stroke yeah and he's not yeah it is yeah he's not doing it quite as much and i i found i went through a phase of doing it and then i got away from it do you still do it sometimes well he got away from it more and more because he uses a lot shorter pedals that's right. And yep. even this week, we, we, we compared pedals, and uh, I still use a lot longer than he did. Um, I think just five or six years ago, he was slightly longer than me, or the same length. And then since then, every year he goes a little shorter. And we did discuss it, and we I think we, we agree with each other that for a long-distance pedal, it's better to have longer a longer pedal, because you can do... A stronger, longer stroke, uh, which I prefer, especially um, at my age, at, at um, endurance pedaling, it's it's a it's a better stroke for me. And if I need it, I can still choke it and, and sprint a little faster. But if you're always choking it, it's better actually to take just a shorter pedal. So it, the most races he does is is between a half an hour and, and an hour, and there you want to use your your optimum. Uh, pedal length so he started using the shorter ones and um, for me it's just when i go too short i feel my lower back um if you go too high you feel your shoulder so everybody has to somehow find their optimum uh, length in the middle where you don't feel anything and it's i think it's different for everybody yeah yeah and that's a good point every you know he's just gone shorter and so therefore you don't need to choke up as much and that's what i always tell people that's like a common beginner question it's like where should my paddle be whether it's surfing or or racing or just cruising and and just like you said there is no right or wrong answer it's it's whatever you're doing mostly and unique to your skill level and body type so i remember when when the big thing was like one shaka above your head and i guess that's a good sort of catch-all but there's a huge variation uh in there and where it actually should be yeah for me it's still i if people people ask me i said well this is the rough measurement this this is a shock above your head right and um go from there and then you explain the differences and then people at some point find their own length and but yeah like you said it's the first thing people ask um it's still it's still not very well known for beginner pedalists where where it should be. Yeah, and and uh, that leads us nicely into. I wanted to talk a little bit about your shop. You have a a stand up paddle and windsurf shop there on Maui. How have you seen uh, the sport change from the perspective of a shop owner and uh, from where it was, where we are now, and where you think it's going? Um, yeah, when we started, there were four, I think, uh, just in, from my perspective, Starboard had four boards in their range. And one was a short board, which I think was 10.5 or 9.8. That was their, their shortest board. So it, it changed a lot over the years. Um, it also changed from a, a let's say, a, a, um, an all-round pedal board to a racing board or 
a really short surfing board. So it, it got more specific in, the, in all the different disciplines. And the last couple of years has been pretty steady, I think, except the, the foiling. And if it will, I don't know if, if, if there's going to be, I, we noticed that um, the racing boards, we, we can still make them faster. So every year we test and we develop and, uh, it, it's probably the same for all other brands that every year we can we still find ways to make the boards faster and at the same time more stable uh, so it's interesting but that that will slow down those big gaps we made in the beginning with, with big um, yeah like if you compare boards from 6 years ago to now there's a huge difference so we make big steps but those steps are getting smaller and smaller and um, but if you see also that the, the 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 width of the boards, like in the beginning, at 27 and a half was my race board, and that was considered super narrow. <laughs> and um, now it's it's I pedal on the 21 and a half in the 11 city, and I feel comfortable, and I'm I'm for sure one of the worst instability um, in in the racing scene. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, those recessed decks help. Yes, the recessed decks helps a lot, and. But also just, uh, just uh, yeah, like the, the rails, if it's a little rounder or a little steeper, uh-huh. it makes huge differences. And, um, yeah, we've played around a lot with that. And we've realized that you can make boards more narrow and they feel the same as the year before, one half inch uh, wider. So, it, yeah, small, small things. But over the years, those small things make big differences. And... Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't have imagined that I would be on a 21 and a half. I, I remember that I was at the Battle of the Pedal with Connor testing his new for next year boards on the last day of the Battle of the Pedal, and which was a, a 24, and I couldn't stand on the board. And I, I, I mean, I could stand on the board, but I couldn't make it fast because it was just too tippy. So you always, you know, with a slight imbalance, I cannot really pedal through. And But now... I'm totally comfortable on a 23 in the same conditions. Um, and on the flat water, I use 21 and a half. So, it, yeah, it, it changed quite a lot. Yeah, it's pretty incredible to, to think back to the boats that we were paddling <laughs> years ago. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and to also, I always laugh about how high and how stiff and how big the paddles we were using, at least I was using, but I think a lot of us, uh, were in the beginning, you know, and everything, like you mentioned, Connor got shorter, got a little bit more flex, the blade sizes, uh, got smaller and, and we're better for it, less injury. And we're, we're going faster than ever. Yeah. Like so a lot of people ask me this, I like the, the blade size and then the, and the length, but like I say, I always compare it to, to racing, uh, bicycle racing. And, you know, if you saw, Maybe it's a bad example, but Lance Armstrong always had a really high cadence, and um, some others had a slower cadence. So, yeah, bigger blade, smaller blade. Uh, nowadays, a lot of people use the smaller blade with a little slightly higher cadence, and yeah, I think people have less injury injuries because of it. I know I um, do. Yeah, you, yeah. You, like like you said, you have been about the same same uh, part of the career time as, as I have when we started uh, in the early days and it's amazing I, I we talked about it I talked about it to my wife just two days ago how fast those 10 years went I just dug up the, that's why I probably we talked about it I um, I, I was looking for something else but I found my all my um, my medals from the 11 city and I saw I, I saw looked at if I could find them all and uh, so I found them all, all of the nine, and then one year I did the double. So there were ten of those medals, and that's why it's, it's amazing how quick life and uh, the, the pedaling went the last ten years. Yeah, no kidding. You were in it uh, maybe a year before me, but uh, yeah, it it does it is incredible, and it's kind of cool, you know. And we'll we'll talk about this a lot on on the show is just the community and, and being a part of, of a new sport. And, and I still feel like we can call these the good old days, but not quite like, like it was when we were camping out at lost mills 
that first year and, and, you know, and, and, and just those, it, it was a special time. And I think it, it's still special. And, and I think we'll kind of, we're kind of going through like a transition period and, and I feel like it'll go back to more of those roots and, and smaller community style, uh, events and feel, but, uh, but yeah, it, it is amazing how how time flies in, in relating that to the the trajectory of stand up paddling uh, as a sport. Yes, I mean now you have, you have those huge events and and um, back then we we had events like the first eleven city was uh, was an invitational where it was even hard for me to get in, but just because I paddled around Maui's the the organizer Anamui said like ah oh, maybe I should give him a chance to to come because you know i pedal around maui not many people do that <laughs> so I, I had to find my way in because i really wanted to do it because it's back back in my my uh home country and it was um, a longer race and uh, the funny thing is i did that same race uh two times windsurfing uh in 88 or 89 and so i had already some history with the same race and i i really wanted to do it and so after some fighting i've I got in and it turned out to be uh, the race. I've, yeah, it, I think there's not many people who, do, who did a race for 10 years. That's even man. Um, I don't, th- I, I don't think there's any, <laughs> I was, I was pretty excited to keep my Carolina cup streak going. Uh, I think this year would be however many years they've done it. I think it's the eighth year. Um, but uh, that's it. That's it. Yeah, grueling race it's a streak already yeah <laughs> yeah that's a that's a grueling race but nowhere near the 11 city tour and uh that that 10-year mark that you're going for and, and so definitely wish you the best on that and want to be respectful of your time but i i could talk to you for for days on all of your adventures like living on a sailboat and and all of these crossings i'm sure there's so much we'll have to have you back on i want to finish with um uh, this question and then we can wrap up and, and you can let us know about what you have in store for this year. But you mentioned uh, transatlantic and, and you saw that on the map and Chris Burdish uh, did that amazing paddle last year where he, he crossed the Atlantic in a super modified uh, stand-up paddle craft. Are th- was there any part of you that, that was like, man, that, that, that could have been me? Oh, the, the, the whole time. <laughs> I, yes, that, that was, it was, he knows, I talked to him afterwards, and, and even the day or the two days before he started, um, we, we knew from each other that we had the same goal, and um, yeah, that I was building a house here, and, and uh, also my wife didn't really like it, but I would do it, <laughs> and it, it takes also a lot of, years of organizing it and you you on the water also for a long time so there were there were a lot of contemplations and at some point i was really working on it and i had a design and i had um was working uh, with the shaper and i was pretty far into it and i also found out that he was doing and he was his planning was one year ahead of me so i stopped right away um thinking about doing it and just thought okay it's going to be his his adventure and so yeah i have a huge respect for him and i think it's mutual he has a huge respect for me because we've always watched each other what we did and um influenced each other what what we did so um yeah it's it's uh, it's incredible feat it, it's it's even with the modified board it's still for me a stand-up it's the only way how to you cannot do it with anything else you have no. to do it with with, with a, a boat board like that so it's it's an incredible feat and um, yeah, a lot of respect. Yeah, it's amazing, and and you've done some amazing stuff too. Is there any part of you, it uh, would would you attempt it now, or or do you have any big crossings in the works? No, I I um, I still want to do things I've done before, and I do. I'm, I'm planning a, a a crossing between the Marquesas Islands uh, in April. Which is part windsurf, part stand-up, because the direction of the wind. I decided also to take a windsurf rig in some parts because it's uh, otherwise you could just pedaling with side wind for 
for like 12 to 18 hours. Oh, wow. And, and then I think we're going to do, I'm going to do some uh, something with Connor again, which has been a while. We haven't done a, a, a good trip together since a while. So I think little by little I will retire from the the racing and just do um, adventurous uh, races or stories or expeditions. Um, yeah, I will be pedaling for a long time, but just more and more the adventure part. That sounds awesome. And, and part of me, I, I definitely enjoyed the competition, but I totally can relate to the adventure, the, the, just that whole journey. And, and so maybe one day I'll, I'll join you on, uh, on something. Maybe if you come down here to Costa Rica, there's some amazing crossing potentials or coastal cruises, but, uh, it sounds exciting. I know I'll be, I'll be watching you, wishing you the best uh, this year, and I hope to see you. It's been, it's been a while. I'm not really going to be on, on the race scene uh, much at all, but definitely uh, surfing these days. So uh, maybe our paths will cross uh, hopefully sometime soon, Bart. Yeah, I'm sure they will, and, and Costa Rica is on the bucket list. So, um, no, I'm sure we'll, we'll cross paths again, and uh, it, uh, I've always enjoyed our, uh, our friendship and uh, even uh, as competitors racing together or just meeting or talking about the rules for the next <laughs> years, things like that. Lots and of rules. The beginning days, <laughs> yeah. So, yes, now we, we'll meet again. Yeah, all right. Well, open invitation uh, for you and your family to come down here anytime. And, uh, yeah, thanks again, Bart, and we'll talk to you soon. Okay, great. Thanks. <laughs> it's the Paddle Podcast. <laughs>